0: I mean, when it comes to the factual stuff, when it comes to the stuff like, um, uh, oh, they believe this at this period, at this period, at this period, etc. There are right and wrong. There are right and wrong answers. When it comes to more esoteric stuff, like how did they view, how did our ancestors view a god? What is a god? What is the nature of uh, what is the nature of the spirit in relation to um, uh, the beliefs of my ancestors? Why is it so? In- why are these things so important? Those are questions with more open-ended answers. And things like that are actually, in my belief, the more, actually the more important question.
1: Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. Watch this world make like a
0: Christopher Von Ness. I am a Germanic reconstructionist heathen, and I have been heathen for about 14 years now. When I started out, I was more of a, you could say, um, more of a neo-pagan kind of um, uh, flying by the seat of my pants thing, but as I got older and more involved, I became more and more and more of a reconstructionist, and right now I was... Would- absolutely define myself as more of a Reconstructionist than a Neo-Pagan. I uh, have been researching Germanic heathenry, um, and that includes um, the religious and cultural practices of Northern, Central, and Western Germanic peoples for past seven to eight years of my life. So, yeah, um, were there any questions you wished to ask me? Well, let's just start with going into just a, a broad stroke kind of distinction
1: between neo-paganism, and neo-heathenism?
0: Well, paganism, as, at its beginning, is sort of a Christian invention. The idea that there is some universal, quote-unquote, pagan ideal or religion between um, Indo-European polytheistic peoples is complete nonsense. The differences between the Germanic, Celtic, Slavic, Greco-Latin, Freco-Dacian and uh, various other groups deriving from the uh, Proto-Indo-European language group are so diverse and so different to categorize them under a single umbrella is not at all what heathenry is. Heathenry is more of a, an attempt to reconstruct in as much as is feasible in the modern world the specific practices and beliefs that our ancestors, in my case, Germanic ancestors, held and practiced. Now, there is some debate um, internally as to what extent that goes. You have you have universalist heathens who are virtually indistinguishable from neo-pagans, and then you have reconstructionist heathens like myself, who are uh, more on the opposite extreme, who are trying to reconstruct these practices. And it all boils down to... Um, essentially how far, how deep you want to go into that. I would say I'm not quite on the... what are sometimes called um, extreme reconstructionists that basically need a mountain of empirical data before they'll adopt any sort of practice. I'm more... uh, use um, the position of our ancestors as... I don't want to say a jumping-off point, but I always keep in mind the fact that it's been at least... 1200 years since the last um, uh, groups of heathens were truly practicing and in that time span the world we live in has changed so much that there are practices that i think would have simply fallen out of favor or stopped being used naturally as the world around them changed and i feel like a lot of reconstructionists sort of lose sight of that and will attempt to reconstruct things that aren't necessary to reconstruct if that makes any sense no,
1: that that definitely does, and it goes to the point that I usually make um, that whether you say pagan or heathen, you're really referring to somebody's approach to their religion. So, uh, just going back to the idea of empirical data, um, a lot of people I'm sure wouldn't know exactly like how one goes about finding and doing the the, the, the bare bones
0: research. Um, a lot of it comes from. Uh There's an online database I use a lot called uh, northvegr.org, N-O-R-T-H-V-E-G-R.org, that has a lot of sources. Most of the sources, oddly enough, at least from a later heathen era, come actually from the Roman Catholic Church. You have to read these, of course, with a huge grain of salt, because the approach at the time was to demonize the ever-living crap out of them, so you can't really take them at um, face value. Now, a lot of people will cite the poetic and prose eddas as a, uh, yes, stories, as uh, primary sources, but um, that's really that's a dangerous thing to do for a number of reasons. First of all, the prose edda, I'm going to start with, I don't have the highest opinion of uh, Snorri as a whole, who you may not know is basically the author of the prose edda. Now, I will respect that he did a lot of work to keep the myth um, the of uh, the northern the northern branch of the Germanic people, specifically the iceland the Icelandic group of the northern branch of the Germanic people's myths alive but his goal wasn't so much to preserve them accurately, just to preserve them and a lot of people you don't notice, but he was he was a thirteenth century Christian poet, I believe thirteenth century either thirteenth century or twelfth century i but um his goal wasn't really to preserve it accurately. His goal was to preserve it. So the the prose edit is useful to get a general idea, but to say like, "Oh, Snorri wrote this down, so the ancient Germanic peoples must have practiced this way or believed this," is a very dangerous leap to make. It's more often than not not true. Yeah, he he modeled a couple, like quite a few things actually force them into the mold of the, the whole Christian um, mm. ideology. He also borrowed a lot from Greek mythology as well, because at the yes. time, uh, Greek mythology was becoming very popular amongst northern people, because a lot of people don't know this, but the Christianization of the Germanic people began with Latinization. The idea was to cut out their roots be- beneath them so they no longer had a culture, which is fortunately still true to this day. Um, very
1: effective method.
0: Yeah. Very wrong. Yes, very, very Roman. Yes, <laughs> and uh, once they once they were once they were Latinized, they were much more, you know, approachable to the idea of Christianity.
1: Now, um, you'd mentioned that that's specifically Icelandic. Now, there are a couple different just just to focus for arguments, just to narrow our focus on um specifically Norse heathenry. Okay, there northern. Are, yeah, th- yeah this is, especially since you sent to specialize there. Well, not exclusively, but you, you tell um,
0: no, no, um, actually, um, actually, I'm more of a Western Germanic. Heathen. Oh, just in general. Yeah, I'm um, just in general I'm more of a Western, okay. more of an more of a Saxon, Anglo-Saxon, that kind of thing. Well, could you, could you just start by
1: giving us a laundry list of all the various kinds of um, Norse heathenry that one might come across?
0: Um, there's basically three main branches. You have the Northern Germanic group, which is generally confined to Scandinavia. You have Central Germanic, which is Teutonic, which is Central Europe. Most of the um, general groups that um, uh, existed. Basically, south of Scandinavia, but north of um, north of southern Europe, basically, um, we're talking like um, as far south as say modern Switzerland. All those various group, all those various Teutonic groups that were eventually unified um, by Charlemagne, forcibly Christianized, and brought into the Holy Roman Empire. And then you have the Western Germanic group, which inclu- includes people such as the Engles, the Saxons, who are um, uh, actually the ancestors of modern-day Dutch. Uh the Anglo Saxons who of course uh, moved from that region and came to inhabit England, which is uh where actually my um my ancestry comes from. You also have the Frisians who I believe they were uh neighbors of the um Saxons. I forget exactly where they were located geographically, but if I had if I had my map in front of me I'd be able to tell you. But take a quick break if you want to go grab that. I don't know. Uh, it's fine.
1: All right. So were there any, sp- like, major differentials between them? I know that you at one point um, mentioned to me something about differences between how they viewed Tyr and Odin.
0: Um, this is, th- yes. This actually gets to a bit of a, a complicated thing. There's a lot of approaches to this. Um, uh, there's a lot of hypotheses, a lot of theories. I'm just going to bring on my own. This, I tend to go a lot from building off a lot from uh, the various early writings by the Romans. Stuff by, uh, for example, Tacitus or um, Caesar's accounts and uh, a lot of um, uh, modern heathens like to dismiss these accounts because they differed so greatly from uh, the etic accounts. But archaeology and modern heathen study has more been on their side. So, in any event, according to Tacitus, the first of the German... Basically, the the oldest Germanic people were part of three great, you could call them, tribes. And each of those tribes were comprised of clans. But the three tribes were the Ingveons, which would be sons of Freyr, Eremenons, sons of Odin, and the Istveons, who we haven't, we don't actually know who they were. Um, there are few theories I've, I've heard thrown around. One is that Istveons may have been uh, some sort of catch-all term that the Romans used for Germanics who weren't part of either of those two larger cultural groups. Or that Istve might be some lost name. To, might, might be um, a Germanic group that was uh, perhaps absorbed into another group, and that's why we don't really have any modern uh, Anglo-Saxon or Norse or or Old German etymological connection for Istve like we do for Ermen and Ingve. You think that might have something to do with the Adamla cult? Or? Possibly. We'll get back to that yeah. uh, further. But according to Tasquez, those are the two main groups. When you bring in a bit of archaeology, it's known that the Germanic peoples, essentially, before they moved into Central Europe, were part of something called the Norse Bronze Age, which happened across Scandinavia, which was a very, very, very rich culture. We know very little about it, unfortunately, because, well, nothing was written down about it. All we know is that when the miniature Ice Age happened, which a lot of people don't know about... It sort of threw the entire culture into shock, because when we're going to, like, 1200, 1400 B.C., Scandinavia had a climate similar to southern France. Then, uh, I believe, around uh, 800 B.C. rolls around, and um, things start cooling off, and people start losing their damn minds. And a friend of mine, I like to um, quote him, uh, Jamie Martin, who actually is a friend of mine uh, on Facebook, of all places? Who who's taught me a lot and who I talk to a lot. Basically, is often hypothesized that that freezing off is exactly when the Jormunns, uh, sons of Odin, branched off from the Ingveons, and in that you see sort of the trend, uh, sort of alluded to um, in the Poetic Edda, the transition from uh, more fertility nature deities, i.e., Freyr, to the wolf god, to the gods of war. And that was basically brought on by a cultural change necessitated by this climactic change. And from that group, pretty much came um, that group. Pretty much um, spread out during the expansion era of the Germanic people, which happened centuries later, and essentially overtook the old, the older group. And you see shades of that in the stories of the Asirvaniar War in Norse mythology. And they pretty much formed the building block for the Western, Northern, and uh, Central Germanic cultures. Sorry, I went off on a ton- kind of unrelated tangent there. But to ask you your question about the different views of Tyr. Now, Tyr is a deity that I am very fascinated with, o- always have been fascinated with, mostly because uh, he seems to play a very minor role in Norse mythology. But when you fire follow the etymology of his name and how it is related to the... Deus, which, um, if you're reconstructing Proto-Indo-European, is like the chief god. But in Germanic mythology, and at least in northern Germanic mythology, Tyr seems to be relegated to a simple god of war. But um, when you follow the etymology of his name, that doesn't really seem to hold much water. Now, in Tacitus' writings, there's an enigmatic character um, reference known as Twista. Tuisto is said, to, according to him, to have been among the Germanic people's The first of the gods to ever arise, fully formed from the earth. Earth. Now, many people have um, raised comparisons, etymological comparisons between Twisto and Tyr, some believing that uh, Twisto may have been Tyr's son, indicating that Tyr was originally some sort of universal sky father, or that Twisto is, in fact, an earlier name for Tyr, which um, the latter theory is the one I have been the most leaning towards. Mostly because of my theory when it comes to the Divine Twins. Now, speak about the Divine Twins, the Divine Twins are, we don't really know who they were. They were two figures that were constantly depicted in the Norse Bronze Age, always together, and always seen depicted as twins. Tacitus then goes on to say that Tuisto had a son named Asmonas, and Monas was the father of uh, the three great tribes. So that, well, rather, of the founders of the three great tribes, meaning that Manas would have been the father of Odin, of Freyr, and whoever Istvei was. Now, this throws pretty much, if you're going to go from there, that pretty much contradicts everything in the Poetic and Prose Edda, and I don't think it's so shocking that it does, due to the fact that most of the origin of the world, um, most of the um, tales of creation that we get in the Poetic and prose, uh, Prose Edda, were written during a heavily Christianized period. So I tend to view them with much greater suspicion than I do the writing of the Romans. Mostly because the Romans had no real reason to lie about the religious beliefs of the Germanic peoples.
1: Because in Roman times as long as you were following footsteps along with Roman law, you could worship whoever you wanted. Especially if it could look like, oh yeah, that's just another version of Jupiter. Yeah, sure,
0: carry on. Yeah, And also, at the time, the Germanic peoples weren't even conquered by Rome anyway. Yeah, they were just, you know, barbarians. Who cared what they did? Let's observe them. Like, they're, you know, animals in a zoo. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. And then um, uh, the Romans learned that, well, maybe we should have paid more attention to these guys (laughs) when they came back and crushed their (laughs) empire. But that's um, some uh, that's hindsight, I suppose. Then again, the Celts had the opportunity to destroy Rome when they um, uh, invade when they invade when High King saw uh, and the Gauls invaded, but then they decided not to for some strange reason. Yeah, there's but, a whole lot of theory on that. But, yeah. Uh, to go back to the I, my, my, my favorite theory is that they didn't do it because the Romans were smelly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's 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 probably not true, but it's still my favorite theory. <laughs> But um, back to the nature of the the, the divine in the Germanic context. Now, my main theory, I've heard other people throw this around. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't even go venture to call it a theory yet, because you can really only call things in this sort of context hypothesis, because there's no, unfortunately, there's nothing really empirical to test it against, or to imply one thing versus the other. There's just, um, all you can do is make educated guesses here. Unless, you know, some great rune tablet or something written in the Elder Futhark shows up somewhere that lines it all out. But I... that's not going to happen. But my view is that Tacitus... there was a mistranslation at some point. And Manus was not Twistos' son, but Twistos' brother. And those two were the divine twins. If you go with the idea that Tyr was Twisto, that would mean Tyr is one of the divine twins. And I've heard people say, "Okay, if that's the case, why is it Manas mentioned in um, the later eddas or later recounts of the gods amongst other Germanic peoples?" And this is again, and we're venturing into the realm of hypothesis. I'm again, I always like to clarify that none of what I'm saying right now is fact. I'll get back to more factual stuff, but I'm sort of uh, going on sort of a train of thought with this. But my hypothesis has always been that in during the poetic era, ed- there is one thing that has been remained consistent, even though. Um, in the poetic edda, there's mention of Odin murdering his father, as there is in the prose edda when Snorri basically basically stole the Greek mytho- mythological um, creation of origin and nursed it up. Yeah. There still was that theme of Odin murdering his father. Yeah.
1: Which fit rather nicely, because that happens a lot in the Greek.
0: Yes, but you see, according to this hypothesis, if Manas is Odin's father, there's a very easy reason why he's not seen within uh, the later eddas Odin killed him. This also ties into the, uh, within the Poetic Era, and within the Poetic Era, there is a time span wherein Odin, under circumstances that are never really fully explained, exiled from the gods. One could argue that this story is a recount of Odin murdering his father and being exiled from the gods, and where you get, to, and this is, of course, where you get the story of Odin hanging from the Yggdrasil, sacrificing his eye... Which, again, it's a bit of a leap, but it does paint a very um, pretty narrative of Odin being exiled from the gods, going on this great journey, returning and becoming king of the gods. Because when you follow it, when um, uh, the Poetic Edda was written, Odin had not been regarded as the High Father, the king of the gods, for very long, only for about, maybe about a couple hundred years, three or four, give or take. Whereas Twisto was regarded as this incredibly important figure, and again, if you're going to run with the idea that Twisto equals Tyr, then it would make sense that as things shifted more to an Odinic-centric sort of religious system, which was actually um, happening both in Western and Northern Germanic culture at the time, interestingly enough, but it would make sense that Tyr would be relegated to a much, significantly less important role. At least, uh, again, this is uh, all um, uh, my own interpretation of what I've, what I've learned and what I've read.
1: No, no, that's uh, more or less what I, uh, what I remember you saying. And a lot of it definitely makes sense. But of course, it's there's only so much data that we've got, on yeah, the, on the matter.
0: Yeah, I, I, pretty much the only um, guy we have on what the Germanic people believed at that, that time is Tacitus. And to be honest, Tacitus probably got that information secondhand from Pliny the Elder. Now, um, in terms of more
1: uh, modern day, even in, uh, reconstruction, let's first take a take a short detour into where um, more North mythology tinges onto on, into paganism. Since I know that paganism is is can get very varied, a lot of it's very just kind of like uh, I don't want to get so cruel as to say uh, it's you, Christian. <laughs> no, it, no, not all the time. Sometimes it's. Earth Mother, Light, <laughs> like there are a lot of various stripes of, of paganism, so just like there's a lot of various stripes of he- of heathenism, and sometimes I've come across some ex- incredibly uh, north tinged paganism.
0: Yeah, they um, well, the thing about modern paganism ne- or neo paganism in general is it really doesn't care what it borrows from. It's sort of more of a do whatever you want, and if it feels right, do it kind of like ideology, so it's not, not surprising that they sort of gank whatever ideas from Germanic paganism they liked and leave the ones they didn't. I mean, it's it's a very haphazard, hodgepodge, cherry-picking approach to spirituality, which I I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me, personally. I was just not sure whether or not you'd come across any like specific groups of it that you'd Honestly, back when I used to roll with more universalist circles, back to be more into like a universal pagan sort of thing. So
1: um, moving on to heathen groups that you've been a part of. They, they do tend to, of course... Have their, their own problems. Every, every group of more than three people is going to
0: have their own problems. So focusing on reconstruction efforts. See, the problem with these groups is it's not a, a big a problem, but it's still a problem. They tend to be very cliquish. Yes. Yeah. And can often give off the impression of being quite rude. And there's also a lot of the egos flowing around. For example, if you have someone in a group who's known as the resource guy or the smart guy or the guy who knows his shit, you have someone else come in, come come in who also knows quite who also knows quite a bit, and doesn't necessarily agree with them on every single factual point. That can get ugly faster than you might imagine. As is unfortunately a great deal of egotism as well. Uh, by the way, and this is to anyone listening to me who might be interested in heathenry or who might be uh saying this sounds interesting, stay away from online heathenry. Just just stay away from it. Well, academia should encourage debate. It absolutely should encourage debate. But uh Oh yeah, I know, but my um, oh I'm oh yeah, debate's not the problem. Yes. Ego is the problem. Ego is the problem, and online heathenry, I like to call it online heathenry because it's it's a joke is what it is. Just stay away from it.
1: Now, I know that there are several different um, smaller groups that are popping up here and there um, locally, in terms of like finding resources outside of just like you know, I suppose covertly asking your friend, asking among one's friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know there's a couple. Uh, there's obviously people have like create like resource calendars for like kind of like DIY heathenry, like at home, mm-hmm. like for someone who's like just starting out, trying to find out um, like a kind of. I guess, dive into the deep end. You've mentioned, like, a, a one good resource
0: site.
1: Um, in- org is the best resource site I've come across. But in terms of, the, like, trying to get out there and, like, uh, I, I know there aren't, like, any cons or anything, but they have constructed temples recently over in Europe.
0: Yes, they have. As far as, um... I know, I, I know, I might sound like I'm contradicting myself here. I just said to stay away from online heathenry, but unfortunately, the internet is usually the best way to find other heathens. Facebook's a good option, but you need to be careful. Very, very careful. That's my uh, my suggestion. I mean, that's how I met pretty much all of my heathen friends through um, uh, online um, activities. But again, it's become... Very recently, online heathenry has become, unfortunately, a bit of a cesspit. So if you are going to... Attempt to attempt to meet people through through all um, an online medium. I just, it's probably it is the most effective way to do it. It just requires a certain degree of caution. I mean, if someone's frickin' profile picture picture is swastika, it's probably not a probably not a good idea to reach out <laughs> That's to them. A bit of a red flag right yes. there. <laughs> yes, a bit of a red flag right there. Although not necessarily. Actually, I talked to one guy, a very strange person. Who um, uh, had a profile, his profile pick as a swastika, and he would go on long, long, long rants about how the Nazis stole the sun wheel symbol from Northern European people, and he was trying to make a—he um, was trying to make a statement about it. He was just going about it in a way that was aliening to people who didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, and he didn't go out of his way to explain what he was doing. And if you assumed you didn't know what he was doing, it must mean you were a moron. That there are plenty of people like that. Yes, especially in heathenry, you're gonna—it's. It's um, unfortunately becoming a bit of a problem. Again, it's, it's egoism, and uh, a lot of the bad aspects of academia have sort of like, you know, I would almost like to call it lore hoarding, has found its way into heathenry. I have literally told, run into arguments where someone told another person that he wasn't allowed to worship the gods a certain way unless he asked his permission because he was the one who originally found the data. That is awful and makes no sense. It was no, it's it's I and the saddest thing is there were people supporting him. It was one of the most insane things I'd ever seen in my life. That's ridiculous. But you you run into that kind of thing, and you also run into um, a lot of just snarkiness and meanness. You run into a lot of people who say, "Hey, I'm new. Um, can you teach me about heathenry? Go back to Christianity, scrub." <laughs> That's is usually is. Something like that is usually the immediate reaction. Because, you know, people
1: get defensive and they're not sure how
0: you know I think it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of anger and egotism and a desire to not see Haven regrow. There seems to be this desire amongst a lot of um uh, core reconstructionists and to be a special snowflake. Yes. yes. Unfortunately,
1: to be special they snowflakes. They don't want to be a trendy thing. They don't want to become But um it is definitely getting a big resurgence lately and Considering honestly the huge effort, it's like I'd, I'd I've recently been uh, doing a lot of um, private research into just how early Christianity had gotten to start, and just seeing the mirrors between the two. I don't know how much you've done any reading or research about. Um, me. quite a bit actually. It's just um, I don't know like what your opinions are, and just like the sudden resurgence um, of Hesiod. Yes, just even in the past like five, ten years. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to drop.
0: No, just that's pretty much where the thought ended. It's just like your own personal thoughts on the matter. Uh, here's the thing. I have my my scholarly real-world thoughts, and I have my thoughts when it comes to the nature of the gods and dramatic evenry, and the latter might make me sound crazy. Well, uh, <laughs> whichever one you're comfortable to share. Let's <laughs> um, we'll start with the former. Yes, let's start, let's start with the former. <laughs> the former, basically what I think is happening is you're seeing a rekindled effort amongst... You're seeing a desire amongst Western European peoples who have become more educated and who have become disillusioned with um, Christianity, which I think has spiritually failed us, to find their origin, find, find where their people's spiritual center originated from and are seeking it out and are, as a result, discovering heathenry and adopting it, adopting it as a practice. And it's just... It seems to me it's just a natural outgrowth of that desire to find um, your origin, to find your folk, as it were. Like hyper-traditionalism. Well, I wouldn't even call it hyper-traditionalism. I would call it um, a rediscovering of traditionalism, because right now, Western society doesn't really have have any traditionalism outside of um, rampant consumerism. Well, yes especially
1: in places like uh, North America. So that would, and, and North America is where we're seeing perhaps the largest the largest resurgence in in heathenism and like that's where a lot of like pagan paganry
0: had gotten its like biggest support had mm-hmm. been in North America. But I think it's more it comes from a, it comes from a desire to um, uh, rediscover that. Then that's where I think
1: it's coming. I don't know uh, if there were any more thoughts you wanted to put out on the plate but you definitely covered all the bases that I hope
0: to. Um. Um, mostly that, um, becoming heathen isn't strictly a spiritual path. It's also a state of mind. It's about bringing yourself back into the mindset of what one of your early, well, in my case, Germanic ancestors, how they would have perceived the world, how they would have perceived their, their gods, how they would have perceived the world around them. Putting all the information you gain about them within that context, and then taking that, all of that while you're within that sort of immersed zone, bringing it back with you into the quote unquote real world, the modern day, and fitting it into your practices as much as it is applicable, as well as having an eye out for what practices would have changed over this 1200, 1200 year span and how they would have changed. And what would have remained the same, and why? And these are all questions that you need to ask yourself as you're immersing yourself, as you're under, as you're forming your own understandings. Because, I mean, when it comes to the factual stuff, when it comes to the stuff like, um, uh, oh, they believe this at this period, at this period, at this period, etc., there are right and wrong. There are right and wrong answers. When it comes to more esoteric stuff, like how did they view, how did our ancestors view a god? What is a god? What is the nature of uh, what is the nature of the spirit in relation to um, uh, the beliefs of my ancestors? Why is it so? In- why are these things so important? Those are questions with more open-ended answers, and when things like that are actually, in my belief, the more actually the more important questions. And I find it's important that, particularly if you're going to be part of a group of heathen, a kindred, as it were you find people who are on the same page when it comes to those larger questions, because problems generally arise when people aren't. And heathenry is one of those religions where since so much of it is communal, folk-based, based on uh, the encouragement of thrift with one another, there needs to be a certain level of commonality within a group, or else it tends to disintegrate. And that's, um, that's probably, I think, to me, I think that's a very important point, point that needs to be made again for anyone who might be interested in learning more about heathenry that's listening to us right now. Well, thank you very much.
1: And some housekeeping uh, you can find us on Facebook at Drinks With God. You can find us on Twitter at Drinks W God. And please subscribe to our Podbean page at drinkswithgod.podbean.com. And you should buy some t-shirts. They say things like, Manic Pixie Dream and Ask Me About My Death Anxiety. And they're available at redbubble.com slash people slash drinkswithgod. And if you have had an alternative theological experience, or if you can provide an in-depth viewpoint of mainstream religion, just email me at drinkingwithgod at gmail.com. That's drinkingwithgod at gmail.com for the email. Thanks for listening, and stay weird out there. Do you know what I mean when I say I look around for the answer The question stabbed me in the